My name is Tom Chapman. Welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking lads? It's out the game what you put into it, Shelley. Mm-hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. Do you yeah. regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Welcome to Man Marking, the podcast that uses football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Today we're talking to Tom Chapman. Okay, uh, I'm Tom Chapman. I'm the uh, founder of the Lions Barber Collective. Um, I'm also a uh, barber. I'm a global barber director for a hair cosmetic company called Kune. Um, uh, international educator for a uh, hair tool company called JRL. Um, and also an author and children's author. Fantastic. And sporter of an absolutely superb beard as well, Tom. Uh, <laughs> which, to be fair, it's very on brand, isn't it? That's nothing to do with me. It's all genes. I have no, no control over this at all. It's just, uh, I'm just very, very lucky when it comes to facial hair. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, unfortunately at the other end of that spectrum, which is a, a, a daily disappointment for me, to be perfectly honest with you. But there you go. What are you going to do? Joining me today on the episode, dear listener, is my two boys. It's Ryan. It's Ant. You're looking at me. Oi, oi. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, oi, lads. How are we, mate? Fantastic. How are you? I'm, I'm good. Springing pure energy. I know, mate. You were looking at me so intently for ages and then just shouted oi, oi at me. Just... Mixing it up this week. I always give you that like, monotone, same answer. I'm good, thank you. <laughs> bring something else to the party. Now, to be fair, though, you have raised expectations, so next week people are going to expect the same thing. Well, maybe I'll bring it right back down. Right like back. a Gareth Southgate team, just dragging the tempo down whenever or like, I want. Or kind of like a Frank Lampard thing. Oi, oi. No, but seriously, though, we, are, we are here to talk about. Uh, Ant, how are you, mate? I don't know if I can follow that. Yeah, no, I'm really good, yeah. I'm really good. Do you almost feel like... You, have you ever been the cinema? Here's another one of my oh, stories. Oh, Jesus Christ. Have you ever been the cinema and um, you go and see a film and then there's a trailer on for a film that looks better than the one that you're seeing <laughs> and then you're like, fucking got to sit through this now. I want to see that. Yeah, well, I feel like that anyway. Sitting next to Ryan, he's just so beautiful. Well, that I'll is true. Stop it. <laughs> I was trying to be. I'm more Uncle Cracker. You can follow me. That's that's the idea. Pop. You can get right behind him. Not here to intimidate anyone. Or here to lead, aren't you? Pressure. That's it. We're all we're all equal parts. We are. That is very true. But are mm. we both okay? You're both looking good. I'm not going to lie to you. Look forward to this time of the week. So yeah, they're yeah, good, aren't they? Yeah. Where get away we get from it? the the routine and. Come speak to you, lovely chaps. Cup yeah. of coffee, away we go. Speak to the listeners, let them know our thoughts. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they've been been waiting for it all week. What have the boys got to say? <laughs> anyway, so we're what, here. What have we got to say then? Um, well, we have got Tom Chapman Oh yes. on the episode today. Top bloke. Um, Tom Chapman from Lions Barber, Lions Barber Collective. Very apt that we're doing a Lions Barber Collective on the day of England's semi-final. Danny, I can't, I can't do this with an erection. Please stop. <laughs> <laughs> Wowzers! We're like two minutes in, and you've already said erection. <laughs> it's Wednesday. <laughs> A Wednesday erection. Is this staying in? Yeah. Oh. 
Um, yes, so Tom Chapman we've got on the show today, as I mentioned, from the uh, the Lions Barber Collective. When we interviewed Louis Weinstock and Stephen Chatterton in an episode that was out a few weeks back now, wasn't it? A few weeks, maybe, maybe a couple of months or so. Um, they mentioned Tom and what he's doing with the, the Lions Barber Collective during that episode and recommended that we, we try and get Tom on the show. So we immediately got on the emails, got on the DMs, and started pestering Tom and tried to get him on the episode. He very kindly agreed to do so, and it was a very enjoyable chat that I had with him. And that now leads us on to the theme. Ryan. Yeah, we've gone with a theme that he actually said, a direct quote uh, in the interview, which is, failure is an event, not a person, which he thought was very apt. Um, and you'll learn a little bit more about that in the interview. Absolutely. So that's our theme. If you pick up on anything during today's episode and you want us to discuss it, maybe something that we haven't, but we normally pick up on most things. So, you know, but anything you do, anything you do, just mm-hmm. let us know. Where can they let us know, Ant? If you're wondering, they can let us know on the email. It's manmarkingpodcast at gmail.com. Or yeah. they can let us know on the Twitter, can't they? They can let us know on the Twitter, at marking underscore man. And they can use that hashtag. Where's the talking, lads? I was going to say, are you eventually going to get to answer one of that I question? So, or? I couldn't remember the email. <laughs> well, I was hoping that you'd both do the, the hashtag together. Oh, uh, I, just, I just do the Yeah, well, the then, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's get on with the interview with Tom, and then we'll have a little debrief. On the other side, you're listening to Man Marking, and this is our interview with Tom Chapman. Um, so this is a, a mental health podcast, but it's also a, a football podcast. Have you um, have you got a team? Who's your who's your team, Tom? Well, when we talk about mental health. We talk about football. Um, I would say that. <laughs> My team not doing too much for my mental health at the moment. Um, I'm an Arsenal fan. Oh, great. I thought it's going to be Arsenal or Tottenham this. It's going to be one or the other. <laughs> both, yeah. both of whom are constant providers of disappointment yeah. and frustration. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the... Uh, the frustration is definitely... The, I mean, I you know what, with Arsenal, I think it's the, the... They've got some decent players. There's plenty of there's plenty of clubs out there with, worse, with a worse squad on paper mm. than they have. But it's just, I don't know what's going on, getting them to perform, some consistency, you know, some players getting in the team each week when you think, well, there's so much youth on the on the, uh, on the the bench, you know, give them a chance because at least they want to go for it. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You, oh, you never really it. know, do you? Do you know what I mean? So um, you never know what's actually going on with the players as well. You know, like I say, their mental health, who knows what's going on with them? They might yeah. be having a really bad time and... You know, misfiring and not playing, and yeah, you know, Christ, just good, uh, good for Arsenal. I think that the fans aren't in the, aren't in the stadium <laughs> at the moment. I think that's the reason why Arteta's still got a job at the moment. With some of the, I reckon the reactions would have been horrendous recently. Yeah, it's probably a bit of a saving grace for a few clubs. I would imagine um, there's probably some teams as well that are that are kind of thriving off. I think a West Ham probably yeah, giving them yeah, a bit maybe. of a, a platform to to kind of build on without that. <laughs> I mean, without people running onto the pitch holding the corner flag to to cost Mark Noble, that's probably going to help them. I reckon it probably point. does help. It probably does help. It's funny. I've got um. Although I'm an Arsenal fan, I got I got a soft spot for West Ham and for Chelsea. My dad's a Chelsea fan. My mum's a West Ham fan. Um, but you know. So I've always kind of keep an eye on those two teams. People might say, well, why the hell are you an Arsenal fan? But that's uh, the reason why is because when I was, oh God, I must have been about four or five, six, something like that. My mum and dad had a pub 
and uh, mum and dad's friends had the pub, sorry, and they were opening a beer garden, all been done up for the kids and that. And Ian Wright was opening it for them. And we got down there a little bit early and he, he spent ages playing with her, kicking the ball about with us. And he was in the ball pool with us all playing. That. And I was like, wow, who do you play for? And he told me. And then that was it. That was just, I was just hooked then from then on. So it was, uh, it's, uh, that's the reason why I support Arsenal. But my dad said I was always happy as long as I didn't support Man United. So Yeah, well, yeah, that's, um, yeah. T- tick that box straight off the bat, don't you? As long as that's as long as that's in the uh, in the wheelhouse, then you then you're not doing too bad. Imagine I imagine the uh, the the idea of asking Ian Wright who he plays for is 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 uh, is a funny question. <laughs> who do you play yeah. for? He's just like, I'm Ian Wright, mate. Who do you think I play yeah, for? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, I was probably at five or six. So yeah, I was just like. <laughs> football but I didn't really know I didn't really, it's funny isn't it how I mean even my uh my my mind you my two little ones are not too fussed by football at all at all they're pretty, <laughs> on, they're pretty, they're pretty upset about it but um but I mean I was just I mean my dad never sort of forced it on me I mean I always you know I played football and I just had that but my dad never sort of forced you got to support Chelsea you got yeah. to watch the football and all the rest of it and even when my when I was born my dad used to, my dad used to go to Stamford Bridge every week but when I was born he had to give that up so uh, a few years, well, a few years ago now, Christ, I was lucky. I was, you know, had enough money to be able to, because it's not cheap to go from, from Torquay in Devon where I live. You know what I mean? You've got to get up to London yeah. first and stay a night over and whatever. It's not cheap to go. And I, I, I bought my dad tickets to go and see it, cause it a Chelsea game for the first time since I was, I was born at Stamford Bridge. So that was really lovely to be able to share that moment and take him up there um, and just see his face. Yeah. You know, saying, you know, telling me all the stories about how it changed and, all the rest of it's gone on. He still talks about that. Um, so perhaps when we're allowed to go back in the real world again, I'll take my dad <laughs> up to up to see uh, up to see Chelsea again. Yeah, that'll be uh, yeah, that'd be nice. It's 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 funny, isn't it? Because you think you know everyone's I think probably taking for granted how good it is to go to match. Uh, yeah, you know certainly won't be doing that again. It's just um, yeah, I think even 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 at the Jarabas, the times it's a nice you know it's a. There's something sort of nostalgic and, and and kind of romantic about it in a way, isn't it? Going the match and particularly, you know, as you say, going with your dad. I used to go with my dad as well, and it's um, yeah, almost the you know the the kind of um, here's football. I'm giving this thing to you that will cause yeah. you days of, days of <laughs> days of great joy, days of great pain <laughs> in, yeah. uh, in equal yeah. measure. It is a bit like that, isn't it? And I think yeah, I, I, know, I it's tribal, isn't it? It's a it's a it's a it's that belonging you know you belong to that family and when you walk into that stadium if you're wearing the right colors you're you're part of that part of that family and I think that's something that's been missed and the celebration together and the commiseration together and I mean I've done loads of I'd, I, I mean it's like football I mean we used to go to the first game I ever went to was Gillingham because we lived in Kent mm. so my dad took me up to there and that was old, that's proper old school sat on the stands and all the effing and blinding and the banter <laughs> and all those old boys giving all the players grief and all that um and then, you know, I mean, Gillingham had a good fair few days when they were up ocean against Man City and they were winning and they ended up mm. bloody losing and in the last few minutes of it. And it was just like devastating. But, you know, the highs and lows. I mean, I live in Torquay now um, and obviously you've got to see Torquay play. They're, doing, they're flying this season. They're doing pretty mm. good. Um, but, you know, and I lived in the Isle of Man for a little bit as well. We used to get the ferry across for the day and I'd go and see, uh, go and see the Toffees. There um, you go. Go to, go to Everton and watch. Uh, I mean, like I said, well, a bit of sort of uh, between between talking 
Everton. I used to go to watch Everton play. Neville Southall playing in the goals. And I moved down here. I went up to see up to play more to watch the football. And Neville Southall was being out between yeah, the yeah. sticks again. So, <laughs> you know, that was... A, and then I've actually worked with Neville Southall a few times with the mental health stuff that he's mm. done in supported Lions Bible Collective. So that's the... That's a really strange thing for me. Seeing, I mean, he's got to be one of the best goalkeepers of all time. Oh yeah, hundred percent. We had him on the podcast a little while ago, actually, and he's yeah, um, yeah he's just a, uh, he's just a great guy, isn't he? He's just um, different, unusual for a footballer, and and he's. Um, he's <laughs> I remember listening back to the episodes when I was because um, I remember when we did it. It was quite early on when we started, and um, I was like. All day I was like, "Fuck, we're interviewing Neville Southall tonight." I can't believe it. Yeah. All day, and then we got to it, and like he was just like every time. Sometimes I'd answer, ask him a question, then he'd just he'd ignore me, question, and just answer someone else instead. And I was like, "Yeah, this is how it's going to be. <laughs> how it's going to be going <laughs> for most of the evening." I actually, do you know what? Funny you should mention Torquay. So, um, the lads and I who do this podcast, we're all um, Trammy fans, and um, we played Torquay on the opening day of the season about. I think three years ago, maybe four years ago. And yeah. Did you come down, did you? We did, yeah. Me and me and one of the lads, uh-huh. Ryan, came down. I think we left at like seven o'clock in the morning, something like that. And we literally got to the ground at five to three as the players were coming out the tunnel. And uh, that. all the way down, nil-nil. We're in the arse end of nowhere, nil. that's why. I know, nil-nil. <laughs> and, then, and then come all the way back. It was a good day. It was a lovely sunny day. And it was, it was you know, Although that's that's what that's what away days are all about for a for a story, isn't it? Yeah. That it's you know you don't want to go somewhere and win comfortably two 0 That's crap. You, there's no yeah. there's no heroism in that. You're not a hero <laughs> if you, if it wasn't crap. No, you just not at all. Enjoyed the football. Not at all, yeah, it's like oh, I made that journey. We got all the way down there. Didn't even <laughs> didn't even get shot on goal. How committed am I to my team? Oh, yeah. Uh, Talkie's a nice it's a nice place. I mean, I love living there. Um, I've had opportunities to go elsewhere, and I moved to Norway for a little bit and moved back. Um, but when I was in Norway, I was living in um, Drammen, and their, their local team. I couldn't even, I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, but their <laughs> local team, um, Erdegaard was playing for for a little bit. And actually, oh, yeah. and actually, uh, when I was there, they'd made the cup final and their, and their season's all asked about tip because obviously you can't play in the middle of winter because oh, yeah. it's like <laughs> snow drifts and everything. But their cup final was on and they lost. The, the, they had big screens up in the square and flags, but they lost. And the person who's lost scored. Uh, the team they lost against again. I couldn't. I couldn't even tell you the name of them. But the goal scorer was Nicholas Bentner. Two goals. I was like, Christ. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> he's just as if he's following you around, like yeah, personally he's making his your level, life though. difficult. He's reached his level. He knows where he's been. <laughs> I heard something the other day. Someone was saying, um, "Is Erling Haaland basically the 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 sort of?" Um, the manifest of what Nicholas Benton thought he was. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah. right. He actually, actually manifested him in his dreams, yeah. created in a lab in the, yeah. in the Scandies. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, do you know what? There was, I mean, it was a different. Well, they all support over there. They all support Liverpool and Leeds. There's literally Liverpool and Leeds. They all support mm. that, and and different. You know, the handball's really big over there. Um, so and obviously like ice hockey things like that. Mm. I mean, when it got to the winter, the football pitch turned into an ice hockey pitch. <laughs> <laughs> just I don't I just chuck water on it and it's yeah. done. <laughs> I remember seeing um Sweden's women play handball in the in the Olympics in the um 
the cop what the copper box or whatever they called it that was in the Olympic Park. Yeah. That, that is a mad sport that like an absolutely man, so violent. Just like for a game that's throwing a ball around, it's just like <laughs> it's like netball, but with violence. Like it's just <laughs> so aggressive. Yeah, it's it, pretty, pretty full on, pretty full on. And they say they love it, they love it out there. Those all big like brass statues of handball players and things mm-hmm. out by the by the sports center. Um but yeah, that was it. Was that was uh, it's weird going to a pub to watch football? You know, because those lad yeah. that was working with in the in the Barber Academy where I was there was a Liverpool fan, so I'd always meet him and go. They never showed Arsenal. Arsenal was never on the TV. He was, only <laughs> at Liverpool Leeds. He was a Liverpool fan, so we go and watch the football, and it was just a weird, just a weird environment because they're all none of them speaking English. Everyone like they, they deal with things differently, and it costs ten quid for a pint. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's much more sober yeah no absolutely um moving on to to you then tom going back sort of almost almost 20 years now and and when you started your hairdressing what yeah. was it that, that got you into into that profession wow um that so that was a bit of a weird one because i was i was destined for university in the sense that you know you go to school you get five gcses above this level oh you're going to you're going to do your A-levels yeah. or you're not. So you're going to go and join the army or you're going to go join <laughs> those two, these two options that you get given. Do you know what I mean? So I went and did my A-levels, did my A-levels and um, I was predicted grades good enough to go to uni. So they were like, so what are you going to go to uni and do? And I was like, oh, well, I don't know. Um, and one of my tutors was actually really good. They said, pick something that you enjoy as opposed to something you think is going to give you a job because it's more about the degree the level of education than it is actually about the topic unless you want to be a doctor or psychiatrist or whatever you know so I was like okay I quite like history I do ancient history and Egyptology that sounds like good fun be a bit of Indiana Jones going on or whatever probably less boring probably a bit more time team but you know um (laughs) I I, that's my idea was down that route and during that time A levels I was I mean I was always been into me really been into music um so I was gonna you know I had different haircuts, I had mohawks, I had pink hair, I had red hair, I had, yeah, I was all into punk rock and then metal and just a bit of a scar and everything really. And um, I was just, yeah, ready to go to uni. And my mum said to me, she said, are you sure that's what you want to do? Do you really want to go to uni? I was like, well, well that's just kind of what they've told you. You just get directed, don't you? Yeah. You just get pushed yeah. in that direction. And um I don't know, not really. She said, well, why don't you do hair? Because you're always doing your mate's hair. Your hair is always different colours. Shaving it off, bleaching it up. I mean, my hair was so knackered. It was like, you know, the old trolls used to be able to put their hair <laughs> up and just stay up without any product in it. It was just absolutely ruined. And then just shave it off and start again. And I was like, well, that makes perfect sense. I'd never even considered that as an option. And my, um, and my, uh, I went back in, told my tutors, and they were all disappointed in me because I wasn't going to go to uni I think probably more because it was on that you know they on the records that I've got you know you yeah. know lost one do yeah. you know what I mean <laughs> rather than if they really give a damn about me but my sociology teacher who was uh actually she was amazing she was uh sort of she was a feminist she was obviously she was she was called Miss Manly she was she was just brilliant she was all about uh like breaking the norms and she loved it because I was a heterosexual male going into hairdressing yeah. she thought it was just brilliant because i was just breaking the mold a little bit so she supported me but everyone else was not like not impressed at all but yeah so i did i did my levels and i did sort of and i worked on a sunday at a place called woodlands for the last for the last sort of six so eight weeks when i decided i wasn't gonna do it i was doing seven day weeks i was doing five because i thought i might as well do my levels sunday i was at woodlands working which is like a 
in inverted commas theme park mm. there's sort of like a, a local place a family park <laughs> shall we say here in devon getting paid two pounds ten an hour back in the day Whoa, uh, raking it in i was and then uh, on a saturday i was working for three for free volunteering at um tony and guy because i wanted to get my foot in the door and try and get a job as a an apprentice there which paid off because when we uh, when we started when they started taking people on after summer holidays, I was I was there. So that's how it started. That's how I got my foot in the door at Tony and Guy. It's interesting you mentioned that about being a, a, a heterosexual male hairdresser. So yeah. I've had the same hairdresser since I was first ever had my haircut when I was very, like Amazing. very very young, and he's he's um, heterosexual male as well. And yeah. I remember when so we had quite a, a nasty uh, motorcycle accident about five or six years ago. In fact. Yeah, it was about five or six years ago. And um, he was out of action. Well, he nearly died, but he was basically out of action for about 18 months. And I just grew my hair really long because I just didn't <laughs> trust anybody else to cut it because I'd had my hair cut by the same person for basically yeah. 20 years. And um, he's so he's since come back and, and, and started hairdressing again. So he's he's been cutting my hair since then. Brilliant. And um, he's actually, he, so he had in the accident, he lost the use of one of his arms. So he, he, he cuts hair with one arm. His name? Uh, John. His name, John Bayless. But, um, yeah, no, he's great. He's brilliant. And so, yeah, so I'm quite used to having a male hairdresser. But I presume at the time when you went into it, you were sort of a bit of an anomaly. Yeah, I think it was. So I was, I mean, when I went into Tony and Guy, it was me, um, and my manager, and then like 19 girls and uh, and one other guy. Um, who was amazing, John? He was. Um, it was. He went on to be manager. Uh, he was gay. He was fantastic. He looked after me all the way through. Really, he took me under his wing and showed me all different. Things. And he was really sort of prominent in showing me the other side of it. You know, not just. Yeah, you know, it's not. It's not about how good you are at cutting hair. I mean, that is part of it. You do have to be have a certain level. But he said it's not about that. It's about your connection with a client. It's about how you look after your client, the relationships you build out, how well you style and finish the hair. And, you know, you don't have to be the best hairdresser in the world to be the busiest hairdresser in the world. And mm. he sort of said to me about be prepared to be a therapist and a counsellor and stuff as well. <laughs> um, joking, really, I think. But, you know, I was, I was at first, I was like, what are you talking about? You know, this is like, I've come here to cut cool hair, you know, you know, do, you know, be part of the sort of fashion industry. Um, and I'll tell you what, was, or a lot of my mates that did, you know, did drop out and go into different things. Like I say, drop out isn't it's quite a negative term, isn't it? But drop out of further education and go into things like building and chefing. And they, a lot of them did give me a bit of grief going, oh, you're gay, are you going into hairdressing and all that sort of stuff? Do you know what I mean? I was all right. And I was like, all oh, right, yeah, okay. A bit of banter or whatever, you know. I mean, I can't imagine even saying that to people now. You know no, I mean? it's, like, it's weird, isn't it? On, when it? you yeah. think back to school yeah. and like, yeah. we like, were talking about it in one of our episodes about when we were like, when you were a teenager, everything was gay, everything. Yeah. But like, it's weird, isn't it? Because it's not like it's a horrible thing to take that term and make it into a derogatory term. But it's not about actually, oh, that's homosexual. It's just been taken as a term, as a, I'm using it as a negative for other things. But it just links back to that. It's just, yeah. it's just savage, isn't it? Really, the way that you link that back. And I suppose that comes into the same thing of things like, oh, you're mental, are you? Oh, I went out with this girl. She was bipolar, and all all those kind of yeah. things. Using those terms and making it derogatory. It's just, and I think it's amazing to see that you wouldn't, you couldn't even like think about someone saying that now. It's just no, just be unacceptable, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's amazing that we're starting to. I mean, we've still got a long way to go, a long way to go, but we are starting to open our eyes up about stuff like that. But yeah, when I was in there, and it was just like that was I was the odd one out as well. Do you know what I mean, like this, this like you know, 
heterosexual, very, I was quite innocent at the time. I was in that staff room with 19 girls and John as well. And my eyes were opened to lots of things. <laughs> I tell you, I was like, yeah, they're just like, I mean, the stuff the girls are talking about in the staff room, I was just like, <laughs> bright red, like nervous. They'd go and get stuff from, um, they'd go to like Topshop and go and get like, a new bra, but I wouldn't try it on in the changing rooms there. They'd come back to the staff room and try it on. Like, Tom, what do you think of this? I'm like, trying to eat my sandwich. Like, yeah, it looks lovely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they'd, then they'd be like, oh, Tom, you couldn't go down the shop for me, could you? And go and get me some cystitis cream and some thrush cream and some tampons. And so they said, I was like, oh my God, seriously, you're having a laugh? But because I was the apprentice assistant, I, just, I would just go and do it. Yeah. And they were like, I would eventually be like, God, my, my, they must think my missus has like constantly got cystitis and brush because I'm obviously going down there getting this cream and going buying tampons and all that sort of stuff. Oh, they must think I'm really odd. I was like, yeah, but they don't, we don't want to be embarrassed and go down there. You go down, Tom. They won't, they'll know it's not for you. I'm like, oh, God. So that was an education in its own right, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then you, you sort of obviously move on to, to doing barbering, and, and that's obviously a yeah. different different skill set in itself. And what kind of prompted that change? I presume it was just a bit of a natural progression. Yeah, I'll tell, tell you what it was. It was the fact that I, yeah, I was into sort of my punk rock and alternative style. So I, and when you're a Tony and guy at that point, you weren't taught clipper work, but I had mostly male friends coming around my house, sitting in the flat and I had to, you know, they were sort of guinea pigs really. But <laughs> yeah, I was, I was learning to do those things myself. And the girls, because you didn't get taught men's hair, the girls at Tony and Guy didn't want to do it because they weren't confident in it, but they knew that I did my mate's hair. So when they came in, they'd always get booked in in my column or they'd be, Tom, listen, bloke, I can't, you know, you do his hair. So it just kind of became, it kind of happened organically. Mm. And then I just, I really enjoyed doing men's hair. I really enjoyed using the clippers. I really enjoyed the fact that it was, most of the time it was a transformation every time that person sat in the chair because you're going you're taking so much hair off you're going shorter you're and the guys were more open to different things whereas if you're doing women's hair a lot of the time it was i'll just have a trim and a little bit off the layers and you know all that it was just very it was very similar all the time it was variation was in there and that kind of just became my my thing really i just fell in love with that the precision of it and all the and and i think the the conversations and I just I really enjoyed doing men's hair and that kind of led further and further into it. And I have my own shop that became the, that became my focus. And then I was, I was really, really lucky enough to be offered um, the opportunity to do education or deliver education by a local place uh, down here in, in Devon called Fab Wholesale, a guy called Grant. And I was just like, yeah, well, let's go for it. And he said, what do you love doing? I said, men's hair. And, um, I didn't sleep for about six months because <laughs> I was like, what have I done? I'm going to have to get up in front of people uh, in a voice or as, uh, as Ramesh uh, called it when I was with him working at an event, he said it he called it his inner bastard. <laughs> like, That's so true, isn't it? It's just like literally in my, every night I'm laying in bed going, why would they want to listen to you, Tom? What do you know? You know, you know, you haven't done this. You haven't done specific barber training and all this kind of stuff. And um, I nearly didn't take, I nearly didn't do it. I actually had my first and only anxiety attack when I was building up to it and um, I was doing my mate's hair talking about it and I just literally pretty much nearly blacked out sweating panicking I just couldn't breathe I was just no idea what was going on and my wife had to come and take over and finish my mate's haircut I cut his hair like millions of times do you know what I mean like it's just like a piece of cake never even think about it 
I had to go and sit down in the back. I couldn't do anything. Literally, I couldn't do anything. But I, I spoke to my dad about it, and he said, "Well, you got to." He said, "Look, you got to do it." Or if you don't, well, he said, "If you don't do it, worst case scenario, you say no to him. You don't do it. He'll never ask you to do it again. But you'll never know if you could have done it or not. And you probably will never have the other opportunity to do it again." He said, "You know, so this is they're taking a chance on you." He said, "Worst worst case scenario, if you do do it, if you go and do it." You fail miserably, you mess up, but they'll never ask you to do it again. But you know that you didn't do it. Um, you couldn't do it, or it wasn't right for you, or whatever. But he said you'll you'll feel much better about that. I was like, oh god, I was like, okay, okay, then all right, Dad, I'll do it. But he's he, Joe. The reason why he did that is because he actually he said that is because he had a trial for Charlton as a goalkeeper when he was a boy or well, young lad, and he never went because he was too scared. Oh, said, right. So he said, you know. So that could have happened. He said, I could have been playing football professionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was, and it was sound advice. I went and did it, and it it was fine. It was all right. I mean, it was <laughs> scary getting up in front of people, but I survived. Yeah, it's. Um, I think that's. Uh, it, it, in a way, it's. It, I think that's the best way to to approach almost anything. Really, that you won't know until you give it a go. And I know yeah. that's obviously always easier said than done, and different people have different levels of tolerance for how much they're yeah. able to accept new situations into their life and stuff. But I think broadly speaking, as you say, I think just, just give it, give it a whirl. You know, if you can't do it or it's not for you or you don't like it, just don't do it again. Yeah. You know, and you'll never know until you, until you, until you try it. And I think that's, totally. that's such a, such a healthy way to, to, to approach, to approach life generally. Yeah. I think, you know, failure is an event, not a person, you know, if you fail then just move on and do the next thing, the people that succeed the most have failed the most probably. And, you know, it's, uh, it's best to regret the things you have done and the things you haven't, you know, you think about, and go, well, I wish I'd have done that or rather than going, I wish I had done that. What could have happened if I had done that, you know? Um, and that's led to me doing so, so many other things, you know, the, the, I think back the points in my life where I've lain in bed going, Shit, shit, shit. I'm <laughs> you know, panicking about whatever. You know, those things that I did that around are the ones that have projected me to go further in my career or further in my life or better my life or better me as a person. Um, that's just growth, isn't it? I suppose. And it's breaking down that barrier to grow further, whether it was getting up in front of people for the first time in front of 12 people in the local, you know, wholesale and education center led to me being on stage in Holland in front of 2,000 people, in Sydney in front of 2,000 people, and you know I mean, traveling the world. I mean, I got paid to go to Hawaii, Brazil, Switzerland, Australia, like I said, all across America, Canada, all over the place, cutting hair, and I would ne- that would never have happened if I hadn't got up and done that. Um, but also things like the TED Talk that I did, that was terrifying. I nearly didn't, I literally opened the email for that. I literally sat to my wife on the sofa, opened the email, and literally just closed my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> just like oh my god they, they invited me to come to a ted talk and i was like oh my god it's horrendous and my wife obviously saw what was going on and said look what are you doing and i said oh, i just invited me to go to a ted talk she said, that's amazing you got to do that because we obviously watch ted talk so we have that yeah i mean if i didn't know what it was i would have gone yeah yeah sound i'll do that but because yeah, we, yeah. Cause, <laughs> cause you have that level of respect or whatever for it and you see it in high regard i just think i can't do it she's like you've got to do it you've got to thinking oh okay um so so anyway but without her i would never have achieved it she helped me because you have to write a script you have to remember everything word by word you have like i mean you have to it's, i mean that's like my worst nightmare i hate doing that. It's, it's 10 minutes talk word by word it's got to be approved it's got to be signed off you've got to have you have um someone to sign 
uh, language next to you so that you have to you have to they've they've remembered it as well they've learned it so you've got to learn it <laughs> you know what I mean? oh, any cue cards i think oh my god this is horrendous absolutely horrendous and my wife was due with our second i think it was like two days before that the actual date i was like oh, i can't do it because of that you know and she's like no it's fine I was like, no, no no i can't do it because of that and she's like, no no honestly it's fine i was like oh god looking for a way out so the whole time i had my fingers crossed going please have the baby today please have the baby today so <laughs> <laughs> i don't have to do this um but she didn't so selfish um but um <laughs> I, I i got we had rehearsals the day before and i just couldn't get my words out i couldn't Oh, in the in the in the theatre, it was horrendous. There was a thousand people there that day, and there was just as I was about to go out, Tobit said to me, "Oh, there's thirty five thousand live streaming." I was like, "Ah, oh, thank you, <laughs> thank you nice so one." Okay. <laughs> it's horrendous. I got through it. I survived, and it and it led to other things. It's that credibility of doing it, but it was so weird being in front of a thousand people without a head of hair cutting and telling them what I'm doing and having jokes and laughing and relaxed around that i mean it's still nerve-wracking um i say i haven't done it for a year so to actually go and do it again is going to be yeah. a bit weird um but you know i think um it's just that those just pushing through things and making yourself get over the edge of that just get that done it just i was like i don't think i ever want to go back and do a ted talk anytime soon but it was that i've done that now and that's yeah. kind of given you know other people say oh senior ted talk and yeah, so I think yeah, those sort of things. I mean, even the first podcast I did, I can remember I was yeah. sweating, <laughs> I was shaking. It, it is though, isn't it? It's the first time that you just like, oh shit, I need to actually think about what's coming out of my mouth because someone's going to listen back to it with some yeah. semblance, some expectation that I'm going to say something with uh, that's vaguely entertaining. Put pressure or... on it now. I haven't thought about that. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember I did um, I did the charity event where we did like a Strictly Come Dancing thing a couple of years ago. Amazing. And it was in a hotel in ours. There was about five, six hundred people in the audience. We got put with a professional dancer, and then they did a routine and you know training and all the rest of it over like a period of weeks beforehand. And I remember like the few weeks coming up, so I was thinking, if I was just in like a little car accident, only like a small one, where maybe like I just <laughs> sprained my ankle or yeah. something. I don't know one needs to die. That that's I mean, that's not an extreme <laughs> with these things. into the wall or something. Yeah, like that. <laughs> just thinking, just a little bit of neck ache or something. Maybe <laughs> I can get out of doing it, but I obviously did it in the end, and it was yeah. I, I remember being absolutely bricking it up until the very moment when I was stood just off stage waiting yeah. for them to waiting for the music yeah. and for them to put the spotlight on us. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, well, you can't not do it now. So what, you know what I mean? It was just it, like, at that yeah. point, it was like too late to say him back now. And at that point, I was like, right, fuck it, I'm going for it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it's, it's like, like Romesh, it's that inner bastard. That inner bastard tells you like, this could go wrong. You could fall <laughs> over and make a tit of yourself. Or, you know, you're on stage in, you know, cutting hair. You could cut their ear off. You could slip <laughs> and do this. You could do that. You could do that. And it's that negative, like, that I don't know why we listen to our inner voice the most out of any voice we listen to in our lives, and it's the harshest, yeah. <laughs> evil yeah. voice to yeah. ourselves. <laughs> We're so mean to ourselves, and it's like well, if you can just turn that around and just have that positive, you can do this, you can do that, and you can do it. And yeah, I know, I know you need to recognize and, and relate to your thoughts and feelings and not try and shut them out. But actually, you know, if we can start being a bit nicer to ourselves, that enables us to go, well, like, you know, like now with a I don't have that negative 
thought and fear when I'm going to do a podcast or when I'm going to go on television or I'm going to go on because I've done it so many times now and I kind of go right I know I can do this yeah yeah I mean even think when I you know when I'm back cutting hair on stage I will have that going oh you haven't cut hair for a long time and mm. uh, do you know what I mean I will have those things but go look you've done this before it's achievable you can do this you can and we're all achieve I mean any of us can achieve anything Chris if I can if I can do the things that I've done anyone can do it do you know what I mean I'm not amazing at cutting hair I'm not an amazing speaker I'm not an amazing you, but if I can do don't it let anyone, him, don't let your agent see this but it's you know you don't have you, know, you can be the I mean I can remember something was going on with in the barbering world a couple of years ago and everyone was slating one of these educators going he posted a haircut they're going this is wrong with that haircut this is look at that blend down it's not a, and they were and I was just like and this is a really well-known educator that I've learned a lot from him the time it's, it's not about it's not about how amazing that haircut is it's about how you can transfer the skills to somebody else how you can let if you can let help somebody grow because i've seen loads of people who are amazing at cutting hair absolutely phenomenal haircuts get on stage and freeze and go well i'm just doing this and then i'm just going to do this and then i'm just gonna, and it's like it, but it's that it's much bigger than actually just being able to do something it's about yeah. being able to make it relatable it's a different skill isn't it skills, it's a, it's a, to, yeah Huge. it's like it's like the best footballers don't always make the best coaches no they don't not at all not at all There's loads of them look at arteta <laughs> <laughs> we'll stay clear we'll stay clear of that for now just in case like by the, t- by the time we um by the, t- by the time we yeah, speak again, somebody, he's turned it around he's a champions league winner and then we rewind yeah, we back won, to this we won the cup and won everything <laughs> and we're slating him yeah. um you mentioned there a couple of times tom about um anxiety and in a voice and that type of thing and and we're obviously here to talk about lions barber collective and and mm. as is so often the case with things like this the you know the type of mental health endeavors and probably sort of anything really that often starts by people with like lived experience and and yeah. kind of from your own experience you're looking to maybe do something positive with that is that the same for you is is as periods of, of ill mental health been something that you've dealt with through your life do you know what it's, it's a really strange one because i i would say that i had an amazing upbringing i had a lovely family i felt safe i I can relate to, you know, negative bits and pieces. I mean, I would say that I was bullied, but not bullied any more than anybody else. Do you know what I mean? I'd say I was always the, I was always the slightly bigger lad who, you know, who was always with any woman in the or girl in the friend zone. So, you know, always too nice and always you know, all these kind of things. But I would never say I would never say that I would ever relate it to having a poor mental health. I had a really good family life. I yeah, I had fun. I, you know, I can't say I had a bad childhood at all. Um, even when I was, you know in my teens going out whatever you have the oh god what did i do that for after a night out or who did i god i can't believe i said that or do you know what i mean all those kind of things which is i mean you would you i would relate that to anxiety and you know now but back then i never really i would never have said i'd had any really serious mental health issues and then when i was oh well what is it now because six nearly seven years ago i um i lost a friend to suicide and i'd seen him days before and I had small talk with him in the street, and I and, and yeah, and then a few days later, I found out that he'd actually taken his life. Um, and it just it really sort of I just thought, how can that even happen? You know, I saw him days before; he seemed fine. I asked him, you know, how is he doing? What's going on? You know, and actually, yeah, just real small talk in the street. But I thought, how can how does this even happen? And then one of the biggest points for this was I was at his funeral and. 
I was one of the first people who was absolutely rammed. I was one of the first people not to have a, a seat. And they ushered the first few of us down to the front. And I was stood next to his coffin, next to him looking back at the room, which is a really, like you say, weird kind of position to be in at a funeral. Because normally you look at the back of someone's head and you're looking at, you know, the people next to you, you maybe interact with them. And that's literally it. But I was looking around that room and people pouring out the door still. I think, geez, how can you have this many people that love him and miss him and all the sadness and the questions and the, you know, despair on people's faces that, why has he done this? Um, how can he, how can he be feel, how can he feel so alone? And that was kind of my first like real, you know, waking up to mental health being a thing of people. I've never lost anyone before um, like that or I never experienced it. And it was always seemed pretty, you know, positive. I had a pretty positive outlook on life and fine. And and that was a real big wake up call for me. And that kind of, I can remember talking to my mates awake saying, look, we need to do something. We need to do something, something has to change. We this can't happen, you know, to somebody who's got all these people around him and he felt so alone that he had no solution apart from ending his own life. I just can't believe that's a, I, I think there's, there's gotta be a better, a better way. There's gotta be something. And um, yeah, that, that, I went away and that's, that's kind of why I, I started Lions Barber Collective, that moment looking at that room of people who, you know, wished he was still here, was, was, the, was the sort of driving force behind it all, really. And it was, it was strange because it was even a year later when we started Lions Barber Collective and we were talking, a group of barbers that I got together and the original idea was just a catalogue almost of haircuts. Shop and you'd pick up the book and go, I want haircut number two please or whatever so the idea was to get a load of barbers together to do that and then raise money for charity with it and one of the guys when i put it out there to a group of 30 barbers who should, what should we raise money for and they were all like testicular cancer uh, or prostate cancer or lots of male cancers were coming through and i was like oh, that's loads of stuff for that let's do something different what else is it? and one of the guys said suicide prevention and i was just like geez how did i not think of that i lost my friend last year but it was because i was completely unaware there was anything like that I just completely unaware that there were mental health charities or there were suicide prevention or that was it. I didn't even know that was a thing. And that kind of led to me looking into it more, realizing that yeah, 75 to 80% of these people who take their life are men and it is the biggest killer in under 45s. Um, and then you yeah, finding out that 72% like of people who take their life completely have had no contact with mental health services in the year before. So they're unknown and just like, carried on and it kind of went back to that full circle to john i was talking about earlier on saying to me be prepared to be a therapist and i was thinking god yeah as barbers we are we are listening to people all the time people do tell me so much stuff all the time i mean like every day i'm sat there listening to people is there's got to be something we can do there's got to be some way in which we can connect this all and it can become more than just a one-off project yeah absolutely and i think that's i think as you say it's once you start to look into those statistics, and, and I mean, the fact that, that suicide is the biggest killer of men under the age of 45 is absolutely staggering when you start to think about it. Like, yeah. it, it, I mean, like, there will always be, a, there will always be um, a level of which, you know, you're never going to completely eradicate suicide from society. I just don't think that's, that's, an, that's an, an achievable thing to, to think about. But the rates are just, it's, it's like 12 men a day or something. And you just think, them, as you say, the fact that you've got, um, you know, I think I'd not really thought about it like that, what you just said there, Tom, this many people cared about this person, this many people, would, you know, would have happily picked up the phone if he'd, if he'd yeah. rang, et cetera. But for whatever reason, 
that person didn't feel as though they were in the, the position to do that. And, you know, it's finding, finding maybe different ways of, of approaching men in, in that way. And, and as you say, you know, people go to the hairdressers and just talk because they're sat in a chair doing nothing else for, for 20 minutes. And this is probably the first time they're going to do that in weeks and months, maybe, you know, it, 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 everything's so on the go, isn't it, nowadays, that it's it's hard to just stop and process things. In terms of the the collective now, in terms of what it is that you're you're doing sort of all over the country and, and, and in lots of different countries as well, what is the, you know, what, what is the type of work that you're doing? How does the, the Barber Collective work right now? Well, I mean, you, you touched on a couple of really good things there. I mean, like, you know, the fact that we are, you know, seeing so many people, I mean, I spoke to a barber the other day, who said that each one of the people uh, placed in Brighton, each one of the people, each one of the people that work for him, see up to two hundred people a week. You know, so that's like two hundred conversations every week each person is having, which is just like incredible mm. the amount of reach we have. And you think if you're talking seventy-two percent of those people who take their life haven't seen a mental health professional, they've probably had a haircut. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They've probably they've probably seen some. They've probably had the opportunity to talk, and so I think that leads on quite nicely to what we're trying to do. I mean, there's two things we're trying to do. One is, as a constitution, we have two things: education and awareness. Um, through awareness, we do stuff like this. I'm constantly doing podcasts and talking about it and media and all that kind of stuff. But the favorite thing I like to do with the awareness is um, pop up barbershops, which. We haven't been able to do for a while for obvious reasons, but we are trying to get out there. We've got a lot of things lined up with, um, we go to, so the idea of a pop-up barbershop first is we go, we set up, we set up some hair chairs and get some barbers and we just openly cut hair and get people to come and sit for a free haircut. And with that, when they're in the chair, they always go, what are you doing here? What's this all about? This is a bit, <laughs> yeah, they say yes to the haircut and then they ask us, but we say, Oh, we're here at a mental health charity and we start the conversations around mental health. And one of my favorite places to do that is at football stadiums because, you know, at a football stadium, blokes, you could have two 20 stone blokes crying, hugging each other when their team loses a cup or wins the cup or whatever. You're outside of that environment. Yeah, I mean, it could be shirtless hugging, crying on each other. Outside of that environment, that would be considered incredibly weird. But inside the stadium, it's perfectly normal and it's fine, yes. accepted. So, you know, we like to get to places like that. We've got some things lined up. We're going to be going to Cardiff City beforehand. And we've got hopefully Plymouth and Torquay and all the Southwest clubs, you know, when we can get back out there again. But that's one of my favorite things to do because we get people into the chair and we start a conversation around mental health. The other thing that we do is education um, and educate barbers and hairdressers now in hair and beauty talk and barber talk, which enables them to work on our four pillars of recognize. So recognizing the signs that someone may be struggling, ask what kind of questions to ask, like really good questions that we you know, normally don't ask. Um, listen, listen with empathy without judgment. Don't tell somebody you know how they feel or I understand because we don't, but just give them that platform to talk. Um, and then finally, help. So help to help. So help that person find the help they need. We're trying to bridge the gap between the communities we serve and resources available. We'll go back to that figure of 72% of people not seeing, not seeing mental health professionals before taking their life. We probably do see some of them. So we can potentially the community facing barber can say, Oh, have you heard about 
and pass them on. And Joe, a lot of the time, people haven't heard about any of these resources. And that's the issue. They're, they're too scared to go and talk to, especially blokes, go to a GP or go to the hospital or because you know, the, only reason, the only interaction we have with a GP is a lot of the time is sports fields, injury as we're yeah. growing up, maybe a fight on a Friday night and we, we had a few beers or, do you know I mean, there isn't that relationship there for our mental, our physical health, let alone our mental health. So even if we can just bridge the gap by, by using the barbers from the community to the, res, the resources available, the professionals out there, then we can make a huge difference to people. Um, and it's life-saving. It really is. We've had people tell us, I mean, the best thing now is that we train, we trained over 400 barbers and hairdressers in lockdown. And, you know, they're ready to go back to work and have these conversations and listen well and realize they don't have to fix or solve anything, but they can just listen and give that person a platform platform to potentially fix and solve their own issues as well. Um, and then give them signposts to what's available. And, you know, the best thing ever is I get messages now saying, thank you for doing this, whatever. I believe I saved someone's life the other day or, or whatever. You gave me the courage through that training to be able to ask these questions. And it's just incredibly powerful because suicide is a needle in a haystack situation. Like you said, you know, Alex, no one, if I spoke to anybody about that funeral, everyone going, no, I didn't think he, I'd never thought he would do it. So it literally happens where people, you know, no one's had any contact with professionals and they take their life. And everyone thinks, oh, they were, they were the life of the party, life and soul of the party. They were loved, they were brilliant. They were all this and they were all that. Um, and I think actually we need the whole community to have these skills, recognize the signs, recognize the change in behavior in somebody or is someone doing something a bit odd. Is someone sort of standing by the bridge? You know, you walk past them, they're standing there and they're standing there again as you walk back from the shop or is someone, you know, all these weird, strange bits, go and ask somebody, go and ask a question. You know, we, we very much say, you're right, mate. How's it going? But we don't actually mean it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, if you said to your mate walking down the street, you're right, mate. And he went, no, I'm not actually. You'd be like, well, I wasn't expecting that. I'm not prepared for that. Yeah. It's, and, but it's also, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a hello. And we all and we use it as like a tick off thing. Well, I did ask them if they were all right. They didn't say anything. It's like, well, actually, we all know that you're not actually asking. So it's about asking that question. And, you know, how are you really feeling today? You know, how, how, you know, is everything really okay? And, you know, even using, using your name. So, you know, you're saying, yeah, you ask someone, are you all right, mate? Are you really all right, Daniel? Do you want to speak to me about something? Yeah, or yeah, those kind of things, those kind of questions, we need to start asking them. But we need to be, we don't ask them because we're scared. If they say no, we don't know what to do. Yeah. That's why we don't ask them because we're scared or because we think, oh, I ain't got time for that or whatever. Actually, it's really important. It's life saving. We need to do it. I think um, I think men often think as well that they need to have the answer to the question when somebody, yeah. when, you know, whatever the, the problem that the person presents back to them, you know, whatever it might be, you know, ranging from, suicidal ideations all yeah. the way to i'm having a shit day i yeah. think a lot of men will sit there and go oh fuck, right so what you should do is yeah. you know, what i do if okay. i was you is and yeah. like normally when you're in that situation and every the easiest way to think about it is is if you said that to one of your mates what would you like their reaction to be yeah and nine times out of ten it's just them go okay like how did that make you feel like you know yeah. what, what did you what you you know what do you think you should do or you know just yeah. just just prompt another question from them and just just exactly. and like I think I think a lot of the time that like the work that that, that you're doing that's, that's that I think is so good is like it's simple things, isn't it? That people can do. It's not difficult. Yeah. It's not complicated, and it's not no. things that allows you know that gives people any reason not to do it. It's just dead simple steps yeah. for people to take. And you know, you talking there about almost like 
changing an environment into something different, using that environment, using that place as something different, creating a safe space for men to express vulnerability. And I think that's like such an important thing. I had a conversation with a psychotherapist once where he was saying about how like, you know, most of the place, most of the time that men spend together will be in places that are deemed unacceptable for those types of conversations or just not deemed the norm, Mm. like the pub or the match or, you know, whatever it might be. And he was saying, but what we need to do is try and try and change those spaces, like redefine yeah. those spaces to be more, you know, open, more more vulnerable spaces for for people. And that and and like you say, the barbershop is such a perfect place for that. Yeah, it's it's not difficult, like you said. It's if you don't know what to say, just say just to say that. I say oh, I don't know what to say to you. Know how's you know? Like I said, how's that make you feel? Be honest with people, and yeah, I think like you said, we don't have to. We definitely don't have to fix or solve anything. And I think we truly, everybody truly knows what they need to do to get themselves out of any sort of situation, whether we like it or not. No one likes being told what to do, though. Do you know what I mean? I know that through lockdown, I ate way too much. You know, Just Eat was my best friend and my worst enemy. And I couldn't go to the gym. I used to go to the gym every single morning, five o'clock. I was in the gym. I haven't been able to do that. I've been trying to do home workouts. It's not quite the same when you've got children climbing all over you. Or whatever. But I know that it, I know to do that, I need to start exercising more. I need to stop eating takeaway. I need to, yeah, I, I know what I need to do. But if someone told me what to do, you kind of rebel and you push back, don't you? You think, oh, well, they don't know what's best for me or whatever. And, you know, we always, I think all of us have done it, and I've done it as well, said, oh, I know how you feel or I understand, because we think we're we think we're being empathetic towards someone. We think we're comforting them. But actually, you've probably all had someone say that to you, and you think, you don't understand how I feel. You have no idea. Or you don't know, you know, you don't know how I feel. And we don't. We literally, we have no idea how anyone else feels at all because we can't. I'll only ever see life through my eyes. And lockdown is a perfect example of that because everybody has been through exactly the same thing. We've all had a pandemic, yet we've all experienced it different. Some people have been on the front line. Some people have furloughed. Some people lost their jobs. Some people have made millions. Some people have had an amazing time. You know, I've actually quite enjoyed not traveling the world. I've been able to put my kids to bed every night. But yeah, you know, there's also been times when I think, oh God, this, this is awful. This is, this is really getting to me now. But I think actually, you know, that's quite a good example to go, look, I couldn't say to you, I know how you feel about lockdown because I don't. Mm. I know how I feel about lockdown, but yeah, you know, I don't know how anyone else feels. And I think actually it's really good not to feel like you have to feel that or fix or solve anything, but just give someone that platform to potentially do that themselves by asking them great questions. Like you said, continuing listening to them and giving it back to them giving them back the back the ball you know in society we have this conversational tennis game that goes back and forth where i say something for a bit and then you hear something that i've mentioned that you can relate to and you wait for me to pause and then you jump in with your angle of it and that's why we start <laughs> off talking about start off talking about whatever in football and end up talking about mental health but you know that's you know that's kind of that's normal that's that's every day but actually what happened what would happen if you know, the person listening to this next time you speak to your mum and she says oh I, I i don't know i was out in the garden doing this and blah blah blah, blah. instead of talking about you what you want to say why don't you say to her oh yeah tell me more about the plants you planted mm. give it back to them give that ball back to them i mean this is this is an everyday life stuff as well it's not just it's not just uh, in our you know mental health or sh- oh, oh no someone's going for something let's, let's listen to them do it in your, you can practice this every single day. And I'll tell you what the difference that makes to someone. I'll tell you, if, you, if your mum rings up and you ask her more about her life, 
she'll be absolutely buzzing. And same with your partner. Also. I bet you've all, everyone's had someone say, are you listening? Do you really think, you know what I mean? And I think listening skills are so important. And we can, if we can throw things back to people as well, oh, tell me more about that. How did that make you feel? You know, what do you think about, how long have you felt like these kind of things are just yeah. so important? Yeah, I think that's a, like a really good message. And I, and I know, like, from my personal perspective, I, like, I'm not great at doing that, you know, because my instant reaction is to want to go, oh, I've got a story like that. Yeah. Let me let me tell my one. We all do that. Yeah, because because my story is well better than the one the person's just told me, so I'm going to tell you mine now. So <laughs> <laughs> you, you were talking before, Tom, about, you know, some of the different opportunities that you've had through, you know, your work and, and through, you know, the the, the collective and the, lots of different bits of bobs. In terms of, you know, the stuff that you've done, what has been your kind of highlight of, you know, the last five or six years since you, since you started doing what you've been doing? Um, I think there's been lots. I think since I started doing this, it's been literal peaks and troughs. It's literally like one minute, like when I was, before I started this, I was working in the shop. I'd come in, I'd cut hair. I would go, like, I had a routine nine till six, or I'd go to the gym before work. I'd go out, take the dog out afterwards, and all. Do you know what I mean? And then I started the charity, and it's literally like, oh my God, I've won an award. Oh my God, I've just got to do it. Yeah, this has happened. That hasn't happened. Oh my God, I've won it. It's literally just like up and down, up and down the whole time. But I think any time that I have, you know, somebody like Paul, who was the first life we saved, found out that he, you know, a friend of mine and a friend of Alex, who we both lost, didn't take his life because of the conversation that we had. That's got to be, that's just got to be the best thing ever. I think when meeting his, when we, when we filmed the 1.7 million haircut documentary, you know, um, when we filmed that, meeting his mum for the first time and seeing the, because I knew, I knew the value of it, me not losing him, but yeah. seeing that from his mum and seeing that from his, his dad and that, you know, that's just got to be every time, that's got to be the highlight. I mean, it's cutting hair in, fantastic tropical places is incredible don't get me wrong um but that that's the most important thing yeah that human connection isn't it if you think that you've been able to have even just a small impact or a large impact on someone's day or someone's you know someone's year or whatever it might be it's, it is an incredible feeling which is why i think a lot of the time you know you talk about doing stuff for other people makes you feel good as well and i think like that that type of things um you know double trouble in it everybody wins if you if you can if you can help someone else you'll help yourself along the way and i think that's you know i often wonder if people feel a bit like oh no i shouldn't say that because it makes me sound a bit selfish and you're like oh, fuck it no no dude if you want to make yourself feel good then do it do you know what i mean that's no, what it's, it's all about it's amazing i think that's something that i do every monday morning at 9 27 and it's only 9 27 because that's you know when you flick on your phone it rotates into a time doesn't it <laughs> it just ended up on 9 27 and I just put a reminder in there saying, text someone. And that just prompts me on 927. I've, I'm normally knee deep in emails by that point anyway, but it gives me the point to go stop, reflect on a Monday morning and go, right, who's done something amazing this week? Or who do I love that I haven't messaged recently? Or who do I, and I, I sometimes I send out one text message, sometimes I send out a handful, but that's just a really nice way to start my Monday morning. I send out that and appreciation. Sometimes you, I mean, sometimes you don't receive a text message back, you know, but most of the time you get an amazing response as well. That yeah. makes you feel good because you made them feel good. And I think it's you know, just little things like that. It's underestimated how, how impactful and powerful just a text message out of the blue can be yeah. to somebody letting them know. And don't, don't just like, expect that people know how you feel about them or expect that somebody is feeling amazing because you've seen they've got well my social media is a 
another conversation but because it looks like they're having an amazing time online doesn't mean that they are i mean yeah and, and also it doesn't mean that they've been recognized for what they've achieved i mean i've I text someone the other week who is very well known in the hair industry and is very successful and they text back saying i needed that thank you so much that really you know made my day because often you get caught up in this whatever it may be and you're not actually reflecting and a text message like that can actually just make you pause and think and reflect on what you've done or what they've done or what that relationship again it's human connection isn't it yeah 100% mate 100% one thing I wanted to ask you Tom which I thought would is something that I've I've kind of pondered over the last few years and, I, and I've always thought, wondered um you know one of those that you know one of those things where you, where you feel like I wonder why that's like that or I wonder what you know wonder what what that's all about but I think over the, I'd say, I'd say around the time I went to uni, which was almost, or in fact, 10 years ago now, I, I, I went to uni. And I feel like sort of between, around that time, between then and now, we've seen like a massive increase in like men's barbershops, you know, like stylish, fashionable men's barbershops seems to be like mm. a much more of a thing now. And men taking a bit of a more particular interest in, in their appearance. And, you know, I feel like that was the first time I ever heard the word fade. In, in my life was like around that sort of time yeah, do, you, yeah. do you think there's kind of a bit of a synergy between the sort of changing face of masculinity and and the way that men are maybe slowly <laughs> coming around to behaving in different ways and talking about things like mental health and maybe the kind of developments of the barbershop scene and the and the sort of that type of thing as well yeah i do i think that i think we've been progressing forward quite rapidly in the last and you think look at David Beckham you know he was very influential wasn't he everyone copied his hair everyone and everyone was going to the hairdressers and having blonde highlights and he was wearing sarongs and he was very I mean he was you know hugely influential in that change of attitude towards you know what a man should be like especially a footballer in the I mean he did I think he did wonders for the sort of modern man and this yeah sort of you know just different different outlook of what a man should and shouldn't be um and i think that's kind of continued and then you talk about fades and things coming in and i think that's around for for a long time but it became very popular and that in turn made the barbering industry boom because men were already men were already getting pretty comfortable with having hair colors and what have you and the rest of it but then with fading came out like i said about earlier on hairdressers won't talk clipper work in fact barbers were looked down upon in the hair industry it was sort of like mm. second rate i mean hairdressers already looked out do you know what i mean oh, i'm just a hairdresser now if you're a barber you're even do you know what i mean it was that was that's how it was no one wanted to be a barber back in back in the day when i started it was kind of looked down upon in the hair industry but yeah that became popular and men wanted you only go to your hairdresser so many times and try and get a fade and they can't do it before they go to the barber so that's how the barber industry grew, grew. and you know, barbers originally you know Men used to go to the barbers. Well, barbers have been around for 5,000 plus years, but men used to go to the barbers back in the heyday in the 20s when they had the last barbering boom for all sorts of stuff. It was a space for men. It was Women didn't go to the hairdressers then. We, we started that whole personal grooming thing and the shaving and all the rest of it. It was a space for men. It's kind of become come full circle in that. And the barber industry's boomed and they're looking for different services. So now you can go to the barbershop, you can have a shave and you can have your nostril hair waxed and you can have a job. You can have all sorts of stuff, you know, and, and I think that that space is kind of, and as men's spaces are getting smaller and less and less, you know, uh, occupied or, or popular because like pubs are closing down left, right and center and, you know, those kind of spaces for men aren't apparent, but the barbershop has become that that space. And um, I think we could do better. I think we can become more of a community space, but I do think that 
it does link into the growth that men are having mentally about what their position is and where yeah. they are and where they stand in society and what but also i do think it's very confusing for a lot of men i i know i hear a lot of men say where do i stand what this sort of transitional generation in the middle you know the younger guys are like yeah totally get it the older guys are whatever <laughs> but it's you know there's people in the middle that are like it's like i'm i'm i is what's my role can i can i buy a girl a drink or she got to buy me a drink or do i do this or do i do that or am i am i a breadwinner or am i not is that, yeah. and there's a lot of guys i speak to who are sort of in their 30s that are in this kind of space where they don't really know is it okay to have my eyebrows done or is that not okay or and and i think that, you know we also that that comes down to the mental health stuff as well like we've got very protect good at pretending to be okay and I think this is where we need to look at moving forward because we're getting, it's really, really everywhere. Men need to talk, open up, talk, talk, talk. But the problem is when men do talk, we're still not comfortable to respond well and we're not comfortable to listen. So we're asking men to open up and talk, but when they do, then they get, you can see other blokes get all uncomfortable. We don't really know what to say. We sort of spoke about yeah. this, we need to fix this whole problem. But also uh, Dr. Brene Brown did a study and it was looking at the responses that the women in their life had. And it was really quite bad. And I don't think on purpose, but I think because of a shock, instant reaction, you know, like, oh, you need to man up or you need to get on with it. We need you to be strong right now. And, you know, and it's sort of like, so there's a big, there's still a little bit of confusion. I think the next thing we need to do it's like, look, am I supposed to be emotionally intelligent and talk about this? Or if, when I do, I kind of get shut down. So, you know, can I or can't I? So I think we, what the thing we need to do now, we've told everyone we need to talk, we need to teach everyone how to respond. That's the that's the big thing we need to start doing. Even if you don't know what to say, I don't know what to say, you know, tell me more. Even if you just say that, yeah. you're doing so much more, you know, than responding negatively to them. Because that can shut someone down, especially as a bloke, getting the balls to actually say, help. I'm struggling because I still think there is a big cloud over that. Yeah, I think that's that's really true. And I think because you see it a lot online nowadays, and I think people are coming around to the idea that you know it, it you know the whole it's okay not to be okay sort of um, yeah. sort of thing. And I think that's that's kind of maybe people are moving sort of slowly towards that. But I do think that that moment of somebody's actually saying it, I still think feels like a big big leap yeah. doesn't it for people to kind of kind of go oh shit no I, you know i i used the hashtag i wasn't actually expecting you to say anything to me do you know what i mean i think <laughs> but a lot of people yeah. are just like oh fuck i didn't know it was going down this this kind of am I, yeah am i gonna say something wrong am i gonna make them worse am i gonna and actually it's not about saying anything it's about letting them say something it's about saying that this is a safe space if you want to talk to me go for it you know i'm here to listen i can't i can't say i'll understand or i'll be able to solve anything because I won't, but I'm, I'm willing to listen to you try and explain to me and you know perhaps we can perhaps i can help you come up with a solution yourself or what i don't know but it's, it's just about going and even thanking someone thank you for telling me that goes a long way rather than going oh shit what do i say uh, 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 and reacting like oh my god and you know trying to sign have you tried samaritans have you tried this have you tried that? <laughs> quick think of things think of things yeah, and, you shut, and you shut them down and actually tell me if they've said that to you you should feel so honoured that they feel safe enough to talk to you. It's an amazing thing. And I know that I've publicly told people many times on national television and podcasts, yeah, it's okay to talk to me. And because of that, you know, if I go out for a night out in Torquay, or I go for a meal, or I go for a walk, someone might recognise me in Torquay and say, you're the guy that does the mental health stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's me. And then they'll just go off and tell me about all the crap that's going on in their life or their dad just Because you've, you've given them permission. You've given like permission, permission. haven't you? 
yeah and it's amazing what an amazing thing to do my mates think it's annoying when i've gone to bar to get drinks i turn up an hour later but you know <laughs> but, yeah i think covered it, in like amazing. tears and snot and <laughs> yeah, <nonsense>. yeah. <laughs> tissues and love <laughs> yeah, it's just, but you know that i think that is just amazing and that's that we can all do that we can all provide that space for somebody to open up and offload and just tell you something and, and don't we all need that as well yeah 100 percent, mate. and i think then sort of finally to kind of conclude the, the the this part of the the interview tom it, we're obviously recording this on april the 12th which is the day when the barbershops are, are opening yeah. up and down the country and you know bars and pubs and and you know we're going to be hosting freezing cold people sat in their in their gardens yeah it's just gone great it was lovely and blue as i walked down this morning but it's just gone great i was half tempted to wear shorts to work this morning and then and then i looked at my phone and it was three degrees and i was like mm, no probably a little <laughs> bit early at this point but in terms of everything opening back up again then so what are you kind of most looking forward to and you know as we return to a bit of a semblance of normality i think i'm just really looking forward to it for the whole hair and beauty industry that's had a really tough 12 months and i think that you know that as a hairdresser or barber it becomes more than just a than just a job you're not just you don't just go you never say oh i'm an office worker or i'm a this or i'm a, but actually people say i'm a barber and i look like this because i'm a barber or i look like this because i'm a hairdresser or i'm and you you know it is an identity it's part of them and they've had that taken away from them. they haven't had any uh, they run on cash flow they have, you know what I mean, they haven't got something they can sell other than themselves. And they, they haven't been able to, they've gone from connecting with 10, 20 people a day to nobody mm. and having that intimacy, that conversation. That, so I'm just really, really just happy that the hair and beauty industry has their identity back. They're going to be able to get behind the chair and be able to be thriving. Uh, they've been recognized by the government as their own industry now, which has been a long time coming. So we sort of chucked in with hospitality and all that sort of stuff. Now so now personal care, which is just amazing. And I think that actually we it's an amazing thing for the hair and beauty industry. They've now been sort of, I think, recognized their importance by their clients and by their it's not just they need a haircut, it's that relationship, that bond, that trust, that intimacy yeah. that they're going to be having today and moving forward. And I think actually, Joe, just celebrating the hair and beauty industry coming out the other side of it is just incredible. And I think that they will, I think they'll bounce back and it'll be, and the hair industry will be better for it. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting that you use the word identity, Tom, because I think, you know, we've, we've used that word a lot of times on the podcast about, you know, in relation to footballers and, you know, when they retire or if they, you know, get an injury and can't mm. play. And the same does apply to, 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 you know, to barbers, hairdressers, you know, beauticians, to uh, tattoo artists as well. Yeah. It's a huge part of who they are is, is their profession. And the other side of it as well is, is that lots of people express their identity and express their thoughts and feelings and the way they view the world through their appearance. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I can see you're, you're covered in, in tattoos and I'm, I'm the same. And I've been, <laughs> been hammering my, the guy who does my tattoos with text, like, when are you, <laughs> when are you open? Can I book in? When are you open? Yeah. Can I book in? Because I got, for Christmas, I always get money like off my mum for, to go and get a tattoo so i've got one and i'm like texting me mum like i'm going to be cashing that check in at some point just to let you know <laughs> at some, some point at some point before 2022 hopefully you'll be yeah. getting a tattoo yeah yeah it is it is a is a massive thing and like you say they become this sort of as a hairdresser or barber they become almost like a little local celebrity to your group as well that you yeah. you know and you become that interaction you're part of this part of the community it's very social it's very you know, you know all your clients really well. You know them. You see them about, and all that sort of stuff. And it, it, just having that taken away from them has been 
or from us has been really really difficult it's just been you know from seeing all those people every day you know become a smoke a social chameleon you you evolve to whoever's in your chair so and you have this such varied conversation that you might have you know a, um, a barrister in one minute and then you have a barista in the next minute and then you have a drug dealer and then you have a detective and then you <laughs> have a and then you, you, know I mean? you have all these people that you just interact with from all different types of walks of life and then yeah, that's just been taken away for a lot of people i think that alone has had a massive impact the barrister the drug dealer and the detective are probably all going to the same place as well aren't they that's why they get yeah. their haircuts they're all off yeah. they're all off down court aren't they they're all they're all due in they're all doing crowd court at 10 o'clock get, get a trim before they go in <laughs> welcome back i've still got aunt i've still got ryan chaps i'm gonna hand straight over to you this was a uh, an interview again i did solo with tom chapman what were your thoughts listening back ryan i'm gonna to come to you first mate so you mentioned when you couldn't go to your barber, you just stopped getting your hair cut because if you couldn't go to him, essentially, you just grow your hair. It was yeah. easier. And I still go out to live for my haircut and it cost me a lot more money to do that, but I just really like my barber. And um, it kind of resonated with me listening to it. I like my barber because I go there and for 45 minutes I just talk. And what I found amazing about it is that he sees probably 10 people a day, Monday to Saturday. And I see him maybe every five weeks, you're talking about hundreds of haircuts in between mm. seeing me. And we can always pick up where we left off. He'll always say, how are you getting on with the house? How's Rach? How's your job been? Like, and it it is a type of therapy that you that you wouldn't know even existed. Like, speak, uh, hearing him talk about being that barrier between almost going to see a medical profession but somebody being comfortable enough to talk, I thought it was very interesting because my barber now when we take appointments so it's only you and him in the room mm. there isn't people waiting and you're not worried about what people are going to hear you say i know some other people might not have that uh privilege but that's how it's set up for me and i probably do outside of my like family and girlfriend speak to my barber about things more than most people i know mm. and um i think that's a very good way of catching people who may if you're trained in spotting the signs and I know some people make a once between haircuts, but that's a very good way of just, as he touched on, directing people to the right way, subconsciously planting seeds in the mind to say, if you are struggling, you can do this, or did you know this this exists, or you can tap into this resource. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And the beauty of it is the simplicity in it. Mm. You don't need to set up this really complicated sort of fund that requires all sorts of resource with all sorts of trained professionals. You kind of know... At what point you're going to capture people? You know they're going to be between a certain age bracket, and you're going to come across all sorts of different people. And I just think it's absolutely wonderful that somebody's took this and and starting to apply it. I really do think it's amazing. Yeah, I agree. It's it's interesting <coughs> you should mention that really right because you you alluded to um, my hairdresser John, who I've had since I was yeah. four. So I've had the, the same hairdresser basically my my entire life since first haircut I ever had was was with the same guy who which doesn't cut my hair now because my hair's long again but he, he would cut my hair if I was getting my hair cut and one of the reasons that I really like going to see him is almost the exact opposite of, of what you were saying there yeah. to a degree because I get really anxious going to the to to places like the barbers or the hairdressers mm. because I have to talk to people I don't know and I don't really like doing that Yeah, but when I go to my hairdresser I already know him and I've known him for like 25 years Yeah, so if if I'm not really in that much of a mood to talk, I don't really need to. Do you know what I mean? I can just Absolutely, go in and get my yeah. hair cut and then leave sort of thing. So 
it's it's almost like the same it's the same principle but in res- in reverse yeah like uh, uh, it's a comfortable scenario yeah they're both comfortable aren't they because my, when my my barber worked in a barber shop with tons of people and I probably wouldn't have spoken about stuff because if it got to a topic I didn't really want to talk about I'd maybe just change it and go oh how are you and then he moved and I followed him to his new shop but you're right it is being comfortable around that person because it, it's when you think about a haircut like you you don't think about haircut, that's the thing. But it is quite a, like a personal thing. They're in your personal space. Mm-hmm. They're touching your face. He does my beard and all that. So they're quite like involved, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so to be able to be comfortable around that person, I think they end up becoming your friend, your barber, don't they? And yeah. Equally, you're the you're their livelihood, so they've got to take an interest in you to a certain way. So, yeah, I think that, that all ties in nicely. And any thoughts on, on the interview, mate? Uh, just, just on the barber thing, I've never really had it to be honest. I've never had, not like I've never had a haircut or anything. Just never had, a, <laughs> never had, never really I, felt. What, what, what people don't realise is, and is actually like the bacon at Rapunzel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never really like for a, for a long time anyway. More so, I, I feel more comfortable at my barber now, but I've never really been one to go. Oh, I'll go in and make the conversation yeah. like or anything like that. So, I think to to be able to be in a place like that is, and have someone like Tom and 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 you know talking to him is, is, is probably really beneficial but I always feel like you don't really know what to say what you what, what you talk about and like, the one I go to now is like it's they're quite good lads like they're, they're funny so you just sit there listening to them what they're talking about so I never really get involved too much um, but yeah I think you we are you are right it does take a while to find a good barber and you stick with them I, I go like 20 minutes down the road to, to go there and you know there's about four of them around the corner from me so um but I think, you know, when Tom was talking about, you know, the the anxiety and stuff with, like, talks and stuff like that, and you said it as well, you know, when you try something, you get really scared for trying it, and you just go, over, I think you, some, it might have been you or or Tom said, you know, go over the edge and see what happens. Mm. That That's a really big thing, I think, because, you know, a lot of people just fall at the first, like, hurdle and go, oh, no, it's too hard, or this will happen, you know, so... We've had it with, with the podcast where someone will say, or you'll think yourself, going, oh, but what if it doesn't do that well? well why have we got to that point right now? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you're only just starting. And, what you, and I think it's a kind of a trait with for a lot of people is to go, well, what can go wrong? Like, what can go wrong straight away? Oh, well, if that goes wrong, I'll, I'm not going to do it then. And it's so easy to jump yeah. to that. No yeah, one ever yeah. goes, oh, <clears throat> what, what can go right? Like, no one goes, this could go really well. <laughs> it's <laughs> like when you go to a party, everyone, everyone has that awkward like moment and they like, an hour of a party going, this feels weird. Because everyone goes and goes, oh, I don't know where I should go here. I don't know, don't know what it's going to be like. I, I've, I've got to wear the right clothes. And he puts so much Who's pressure. Who's going to be there? Yeah, put so much pressure Always on themselves. Always Yeah. Yeah, and put so, many, so much pressure on themselves to, to get there and <laughs> figure out, like, to make themselves fit in. They never go, oh, well, now I've done all this, it's going to be really good. They're still in that mindset of like, Oh, this is like really hard, and then after a while, the beer comes in, and you're like, "Oh yeah, why was I worried about that?" And it's really hard. Like, do you know, know even with food as well, something as simple as food, like, "Oh no, I don't like that." Have you ever tried it? No. Well, come on, <laughs> come on. Do you know? Do you know what's interesting about that? Kind of a little bit of a, a, a tangential point, but I almost get like with things, I get really anxious about enjoying things, and really nervous about when I'm going to do something or when I'm going to go somewhere or I get it a lot when I'm going away or going on holiday and making sure that I like have the best time because otherwise I'll feel like I've wasted the thing that I'm doing mm-hmm. so like if we're going say like what we're going to an away match and I'll be like oh, 
oh, we're late. We're not going to have enough time to like go and have that pre-match pint that we always have, and then, and then, oh, what what if the atmosphere isn't that good? And then, oh, did we celebrate the goal enough? Like, was did we have mm. did we do enough of this or do enough of that? And making sure that ever to the point where sometimes I'm like, oh, I just don't want to go. I'm not going to do it if if I don't if I don't go, I can't it it can't be a letdown. Do you know what I mean? And and so it's it's almost like the same type of thing really, and being like, oh, I just don't want it. I don't want it to fail. I don't want it to not work or not be enjoyable. Otherwise, I'll just be like, sorry, I'm not going then. But it's crazy to see, like, I mean, obviously he mentions his his misses, and it's crazy to see, like, two vastly different viewpoints on, like, one subject of, like, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm shutting my laptop. I'm not doing that TED Talk. Whereas missus is going, nah, go on, go on, do it. (laughs) Like, and it's, it's so strange, like... And you know he's and he's talking about his, it. You know, obviously she was due to give birth. He's going, no, no, I, I, I don't think any lads gone. Yeah, go on, I, I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there. Can you have the baby now? No, <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure many lads have gone. Yeah, just do it now. I'm ready now. No lads ever been but ready. But that goes back to what you were saying about worrying about something going wrong. Yeah, exactly. Which I think exactly. is so common. I mean, it's built into us to a degree from an evolutional standpoint, isn't it? That mm-hmm. you're defensive about things because you you predict what's going to go wrong, but then. We used that in situations that aren't dangerous, like you said, going to a party, going to shops, meeting your friends. So we end up convincing ourselves that this quite mundane situation is going to somehow result in us being upset, or yeah. it's going to get aggressive, and you kind of like, no, that that isn't going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, it's a successful trait that a lot of elite sportsmen and business people do. They visualise things going well. But I don't think a huge percentage of people it's do a, that. It's, it's a really a hard, hard thing. thing. I it's, always it's um, almost draining trying to convince yourself. I remember this um, will work. I remember hearing about Wayne Rooney used to do that before a before a, a match on a Saturday. He'd go in the morning, or you know, they say like eleven o'clock for the three o'clock, and the kit man would be there putting all the kit out. He'd go and put his kit on and sit in the dressing room and visualize himself scoring, scoring a goal. goal. Yeah. Conor McGregor, a lot of golfers, it's it's yeah, golf powerful. Are, yeah, well, I mean, you always hear it said about f- young footballers, they've got no fear, got no fear, and you're like, why would they have fear? They're really good at football. <laughs> like, <laughs> does it doesn't make any sense. How does that work? So they get to like 25, and they're like, oh, I'm scared now. But the thing is, you do manifest how you feel, and if you feeling negative a lot of the time it's easy for that to snowball and if you manifest positive feeling it's not always as easy as just doing that but right. it can form part of you, you well, can, you can be like, it's, it's, it goes back to that thing that we've spoken about before about being an active participant in your own mental yeah. health and mentality and you say with luck as well don't they if you're feeling good and you're feeling you're more likely to to have in air quotes lucky things happen the harder to you. I work the luckier I get yeah. type of thing yeah Kind pretty much, and you see it with these like you know football teams in particular. Or they've had a lucky passage through to the final. You're like, no, hang on, they've worked really hard to get there. It's been said about England in the last like three years, and you're like, what? You know, it's, it's totally not disregards at all. the other team yeah, who have exactly. done well to be in a semi final yeah. or a quarter final. They're not there by being bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and just just another thing on like on on barbershops in, in particular. I think obviously growing up watching a lot of like American uh, sitcoms and stuff. I remember um, there's a, I think it's in the Fresh Prince. There's a barbershop scene in one of the episodes, and they're so much different to what ours are. <laughs> and I don't know whether that was what I expected to, you know, to be, or whether it's like this British nature of. Because I've always found barbershops to be a little bit mundane and a little bit boring. But you said quite rightly said Dan is that like it's been a big bit of a change. Go have a beer, play some, yeah, yeah, play some pool, go and watch the footy there, and make it a bit of a, like a. 
a, a bit of time out, like a day out kind of thing in a really weird way. Well, one interesting thing I actually wanted to ask both of you when I was when I did the interview and one thing I was wanted to ask both of you was because I had a little bit of a chat with Tom about whether what his thoughts were on whether the the sort of rise of the the, the barbershop in air quotes of, of what we kind of see it as today in this country in terms of it being much more fashionable for men to be interested in grooming and hair products and, and and you know and that that sort of type of thing and particularly then that obviously coincides with the the fashionable bar, fashionable barbershops that we see nowadays the kind of experienced barbershops so mm. to speak the type of places that tom and the, the barbershop collective will be working with i wondered if there was a, a correlation between that and this sort of i don't really like i don't really like to to to, to call it like a generational thing but maybe a different way that men are being perceived or a different way that men are thinking. I wonder if there was a correlation between those two things. I don't know if that's... It was just something that occurred to me. They just thought, well, if you are now having men that are more likely to talk about their feelings and more likely to be comfortable with a new idea of masculinity, then that would lend itself to being more interested in things like grooming, wouldn't it? I suppose we saw that with... Um, what was the, the chat? War paint. War paint, I suppose it's the same sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, I did think that when you brought it up. I, I think as long as there is barbershops for everyone that's the important thing so my dad would never pay what i pay for a haircut he's one of them we'd just yeah. he'd rather one of his kids attempt to cut his hair <laughs> than to pay have, 20 have quid. you ever done that um yeah i have done before I've, how did yeah. it go <laughs> not the best my sister's all right at it though <laughs> um so if you've got that kind of old man barbershop as it go you go down the corner to five and you take 10 minutes you go in you get out and you get what you're given sort of thing and then you've got people who might want maybe you see a lot of them now where they get the nose hair trim their ears done the beards done and all those things and then as you said the experience one where they got dicky bows on and just those what are they called so oh, suspenders suspenders i was going to say that and i thought that sounded really weird but it is suspenders isn't it i thought it was braces Braces. braces, I think yeah, it is. Suspenders, <laughs> suspenders are a different thing, yeah, lads. Yeah, I, th- I thought that. Um, talk, we're talking about your reaction again. <laughs> <laughs> but it does tie back into it's okay for men to care about their appearance. Yeah. That's fine, and I think that that gets people used to it because a lot of these are like glass-fronted, aren't they? You can yes. see in yeah, as you're yeah, walking yeah. past, and it's kind of like if somebody wants to look after themselves, whether that's because it's an egotistical thing or a confidence thing, let them. It's up well, their yeah. decisions, their money, and... He said, he said, you know, obviously he mentioned David Beckham and you can think of countless ones now, Jared Butler, and you see all these, and like James Bond, for instance, as well, has, has gone from this, I don't, I can't imagine he was advertising the same way he might have been, probably more around like a cigarette advertisement though, with mm. like Sean Connery and... Bruce. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no but, way to talk about that. <laughs> but like, you see these now and they're so much more prominent, like, you, you know... I can imagine there was a time when there wasn't men advertising after shaves and and, and nice. Not in smelling. the way that they do it now. Yeah, yeah. it's certainly a... and they've started getting football teams now as well. So obviously Liverpool and Nivea, Nivea is a, yeah. is a massive thing. I think in 2010 maybe Ronaldo and Victor Moses might have been on a deodorant advert. How have Ronaldo and Victor I think Moses so ended up on the post? I know. <laughs> I think Ronaldo Moses. and Victor Moses. I, see, I, I, I seem to remember there was some advert about that. But, but yeah, think, there's so many more examples. Eh? But I think David Beckham's a really important kind of cultural sort of touchstone, particularly for our generation, because when when Beckham was massive, I mean, you look around the sort of 2002 World Cup, we were sort of what nine, ten, eleven, that sort of age, mm. and he, he's, uh, he's, you know, I mean, that was kind of peak Beckham almost at that point wasn't it the Beckham mania thing yeah but he's still such a, a huge sort of influencer on 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 kind of fashion and what have you and that idea of 
to groom the male and the different way that that, that, that men kind of look at themselves. And I think in a way it comes down to a number of different factors. Self-respect is probably one of them as well. There's always that idea of, I think that, that there is a negative perception sometimes of people who take care of their appearance, that they're somehow vain or self-interested. And, and in a way, it, it's almost like... You, it, I don't know. You sort of say, so Love Island's on at the moment, and it's probably a bad example. But you see a lot with Love Island where people will be like, "Oh yeah, they just love themselves, or they just do this, and they just do that." And sometimes people just want to take care of themselves, and people just want to look good. It's fine to want to look good in mm-hmm. the same way. It's a different way, but in the same way that like, if you want to learn something or better yourself, or you know, go to the gym and get fitter, or you know, read a book and, and 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 educate yourself on something, or try a new sport or a new hobby, it's some way of making yourself feel better about yourself and 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 better in who you are. And if you want to do that by, do you know what? I'm going to get a smart haircut. I'm going to get my beard sorted out. I'm going to buy a new set of clothes, and I'm going to make myself feel better about it. And I don't think people should be embarrassed about that at all. No, no, no I completely agree. The, the the I was just thinking of more football references to like a, a bit of a shift in. And in the in the change, uh, was it nineteen ninety six? Liverpool wore those white suits, yeah. and they were yeah. they were hammered for it. But, you know, Spice Boys and and whatever. And obviously, that was the, the lifestyle as well that they had. But then, obviously, a couple of years later, and you're looking at David Beckham, and you're going, well, "Hang on, <laughs> this is fine now." And, it, yeah. and that well, obviously exactly. changes. And then you go to when Ronaldo first comes, Cristiano Ronaldo first comes into the Premier League, and. He's got the little blonde highlights, the diamond earrings. He's got like white sock tape around his around the his six, ankles. The six pack, the six pack, and, the tan. and he got a lot, a lot of of abuse. Torres got it as well. So there's a there's a there's still a, a shift that needs to be made and changed. I think James Rodriguez recently had a had a, did, a yeah. terrible time of it. And but I think I think what's interesting about that Ant, is if you look at what say the nineties and and when when Cristiano Ronaldo first came over to this country. If you look at someone saying that Roy Keane and, and, and Graeme Souness is guilty of it as well, who are, they're obviously from two different eras themselves. Oh, Turkey Teeth's got a good tan now though, eh? <laughs> <laughs> but I think what's interesting about both of those is is that they're the type of people who've, say, hammered Pogba for having mm. fancy hair and stuff. Mm. But what you often see now as the reaction is, what are you having to go to his hair for? Just yeah. leave him alone if he it's wants not a to. Mark have, of the man, if he it? wants to have wacky hair, he can have wacky hair. It's his own hair. Let him do what he wants of it. It's got nothing to do with you. The fact that it's bothering you has got more to do with you than it has to do but with him. But people didn't like the fact that it became a thing. So when I was at school, you know, I've had a shaved head or like that kind of mushroom haircut where your mum would put a bowl on your head and just cut around the edges. <laughs> Is that what your dad went for? But then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then when Beckham was playing for Man United for England, like it was the first time I remember like kids would come in with Mohicans, it like it would catch on. And then I remember people used to dye the hair when he had the sort of um, blonde Mohicans and stuff like that. And it was such like a cultural shift that everyone loved it. Mm-hmm. I remember the Alex Ferguson clearly didn't like the attention that it got, so we tried to like shoot it down. And then I think ultimately that that's why he went to Real Madrid. But like. Nowadays, I don't think that would be the case. I think people just kind of accept it as the top knot's the more recent one, isn't it? I think when that came around, there was a, there's a lot of like the Gareth, like the Gareth Bale top yeah, knot. Yeah, Gareth Bale. You still see it now with like mm. Calvin Phillips and like and the D, the D Reeds top well, knot. Actually, most of Leeds team, isn't it? Wasn't that a big thing? <laughs> yeah, they've got a lot. Luke Hayling, yeah. Calvin Phillips does it. Uh, Jack Harrison has mm, got one true. as well. Um, the centre back as well. Is it Robin Koch? Yeah. 
he's got one. The other centre half, I can't remember his name, he's got one as well. Not yeah, not I, Liam Cooper. And I, I think it's I, I absolute buzz cut for him. I think more more play to more fair play to him really because like yeah, go and express yourself. Because essentially, footballers are now becoming a bit more of a brand, aren't they? And he can become that brand. So you got to sell Ka- themselves. You mentioned Calvert Lewin, Tom Davis, and Calvert Lewin. Yeah, absolutely, they're and, great. Them and they, they. Do you know what's great about that is that you can imagine they know for a fact we put this up. Some people are going to take the piss out of us. Yeah, but they just own it. They love it. Yeah, they and looked people, like they had a great time, didn't they? People love them for it as well. Yeah. I mean, we've got, you know, Kelly Wells, who we've had on the show. She, her and name, Sam White, talk a lot on Twitter about Calvert-Lewin and post pictures of him and him and Son Davis and all the get-up and what have you. It's just fun. But it's just like showing, it's just showing that footballers are human beings as well. It's giving them a side to their personality that we hadn't seen before. Fashion in, in, in football is massive because everyone goes, oh, it's a horrible football top that. Terrible football top But that. it's funny that oh, when... that's lovely, that's gorgeous. But, yeah. like, but uh, when Mancini's on the sideline with his oh. blazer and it's perceived as like the, the suave Italian way, everyone loves it. Like, Perlo was a thing for years, wasn't yeah, it? Like, no fellas, Perlo, no party. Fellas literally like fanboyed over Perlo. Yeah. They still do. Like, he'll be on holiday with a glass of red wine with a straw hat on your belt. Oh my god, look at Pale. But like it's because Or he'd that, be in the MLS not that, running about much. That is like <laughs> the perceived magazine way of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get some people who Tom Davis, Calvert Lewin, good looking lads who may not wear things you would expect them to wear and they become the butt of the joke. But the two are the same thing. It's two fellas who wanna wear what they want to wear. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I don't know. It's um Either way, I do think, as we say a lot on the show, it's shifting in the right direction. Yeah, I think so, and I think it's it's due to people like that being brave and bold. being bold mm-hmm. and using their personality to kind of show us something a little bit different, and, and, then, and, and there'll be people who will resonate with that hugely. Yeah, I mean, usually, I mean, it comes in like a... I was just thinking about other sports as well. Usually, sometimes it comes from, like, charity stuff as well, so, like, you see it with, like, Movember. It's like, I mean, you mm-hmm. if, I, if I grew a moustache now, <laughs> you'd think it was a bit odd. But I'd love it. <laughs> but if I do it in November, it gives people an excuse, and, it, and like people stick with it and like it. And you know, in, in rugby now, they've got a lot of mullets going on, which I think is quite fun. And yeah. It's just that it's just better. It's more entertaining to see people try these different things and and enjoy themselves whilst doing it. I also think just the last points, um, and, and I've spoken a lot here, but um, I think English people or British people are quite safe. Conservative. So We're quite a conservative if country. If you watch the NFL or the NBA when they enter the stadiums, the players they always come in their own gear. They're so eccentric with what yeah. they wear, bright coloured things, wacky stuff. They they almost play up to it a lot more. Like it's very famous in the NBA. Expressing there. yourself in it. Absolutely. They'll wear all sorts of customizable trainers and jackets and suits and have the hair in mad ways. And in this country, you'd stand out like a sore thumb yeah. because we are that kind of polite QQ all the time. Don't want to say something. Don't want to stand out. We, I'm just going to go and get a sense of attention. A pack of five plain shirts from Next. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's my wardrobe. Yeah, <laughs> we try and hide away rather than be the one everyone's looking yeah, at. Absolutely. So that that entrance thing's just reminded me. Ronaldo walked in. It was it when the fans weren't there and he started shaking like imaginary hands. <laughs> oh yeah, that's <laughs> it's like almost every time I've ever played football. <laughs> <laughs> um, chaps, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap us up there. That was a that was a really enjoyable chat. I think the biggest thing we can take away from that is is if you want to go and try something, be it clothes, haircut, a moustache, whatever it might be, a pair of shoes, and you think, oh, I don't know, was, was someone going to take the bit? Sod them, just buy them, wear them. If you want to buy them, you want to wear them, you want to do it, then do it. 
find a way to express yourself be that whatever way that might be and um, if you want to find out a little bit more about the lions barber collective then you can uh, head to their website which is www.thelionsbarbercollective.com and uh, as tom mentioned in the episode they also sell sort of t-shirts and other bits of clothing and stuff like that the same with the uh, the burn chef project who we had on the other week um, and you can find those at uh, materials. that's raw as in like a lion r-o-a-r uh, rawmaterials.co.uk and uh, you can also find the lions barber collective on twitter facebook and instagram now we also had a normal mini quiz at the end which uh for tom we obviously centered around the barbershop little barbershop sort of a haircut hairdresser sort of quiz type vibe um so we'll see now how uh, how tom gets on with the old mini quiz um but before we do that i just want to put you in the direction of a few places that you can call if you you need someone or you want to talk of course the samaritans are available 24 hours a day seven days a week and their number is 116123 or you can call the calm zone at 0800 58 58 58 and their number is available 5 p.m to midnight so we're now going to pass you over to Tom for his mini quiz. And then we'll be back again on Friday with our Euros semi-final review and final preview. And that'll be out on Friday morning. So thanks to you for listening and we'll see you again next time. I'm going to move on Brilliant. to the um, onto the quiz, which I'm sure fills you with, with great dread. <laughs> I feel like I feel like you're going to do well at this. I've got I've got faith in you, Tom. I've got faith in you, mate. <laughs> okay, so question one. The first barber school was opened in Chicago by A.B. Moller. <laughs> what year yeah. was it opened? Oh, my God. I should know this because I wrote it in my first book. And that, <laughs> I wrote that like four years ago. 1905. Oh, you're not far off. 1893. Uh, 1893. And it was near the turn of the century. <laughs> I couldn't remember exactly which side. Okay, so question number two, Tom. Why is a barbershop pole red and white? that's to do with the barber surgeons and the blood from the from the bloodletting and treffening and all the stuff they used to do back in the day there you go we're up we're up and running we're up and running yeah. i'd have been incredibly disappointed if you didn't get that one tom to be honest <laughs> even i know the answer to that um okay so question number three the most fictional the most famous fictional barber of all who first appeared in a penny dreadful serial titled the string of pearls is known by what name oh, christ God knows. Uh, any, any fictional, fictional barber? Uh, da, da, da. Oh, what's it called? The one who puts in pies. What's it called? <laughs> oh my God! I'm so bad with uh, actual, real stuff. If it's not related to wrestling or football or Disney, <laughs> I literally like. Um, what, oh my God! What's that? Didn't um, didn't uh, Johnny? What's his name? Play him, Johnny, Johnny Depp. Depp. Him. He did, yeah. Oh my god! This is I'll give you. I'll give you a clue. He was the demon barber of Fleet Street. Yeah, no, I can't even think of his name. That's going to be amazing. <laughs> I'm gonna, I know when you say it, I'm going to go. Oh my god! And everyone listening is probably shouting at me. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for a quiz this morning. I could have done a bit of research. Um, That's it. Mate. We have to drop it on you, otherwise you'll get all the answers before I even get to it. <laughs> <laughs> just Google. Just Google hairdressing questions or barbering questions. To be fair, if you just googled 
facts about barbering, and you'd probably get most of my questions, to be honest with you. Oh, um, my God, it's going to annoy me if you say it. I know it's going to do my head in when you say it as well. Right, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put you out of your misery, Tom. Sweet, Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Tom. Sweeney Tom. Yeah, I know. I've already made that joke before about people might <laughs> make that joke about me. Are you Sweeney Tom? <laughs> uh, for Christ's sake. Okay, this next one, I'll, I will go um We'll have a little bit of leniency either way with the answer. So we're uh, feeling sorry for me now. <laughs> no, at the end of it, I'll just be I'll just be putting them on paper and putting them on the camera so you yeah, can read them out. Tell me, just tell me. Uh, according to a 2017 survey, what is the average cost of a haircut haircut at a UK barbershop? Christ. Um, we'll say, a, so few, we'll say because, a few quid either side. But that's so mad because I know lads that charge fiver for a haircut and I also know lads that charge 500 quid for a haircut. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say the average is probably around, I'd say, I know a lot of people, I would say that most of the barbering industry undercharges for their skills and ability yeah, and time. I would agree. I would say 10 quid. It's £13.70. Yeah. £13.70. Too cheap, mate. See, I, I get charged the tenner from yeah. my hairdresser. I can't, but it used to be, he was eight quid for years. And then he said to me once, uh, I'm going to have to I'm put, really sorry. I'm going to have to put it up to a tenner. I was yeah, thinking, mate, I'd give, you, I'd give you about 25, 30 quid if you wanted me to. I'm only here once yeah. a month. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Archaeologists have found remnants of ancient combs from cavemen and razors in Ooh. what African country? Oh, Christ. Um, North African, North African country. Now, geography now, is it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Egypt? Egypt. There we go. We're flying now. Okay, question number six. Only a few to go. Only a few to go. <laughs> On average, how often do men in the UK? I put brackets before COVID, for obvious reason. Yeah, annually. <laughs> <laughs> um, get their hair cut. So, yeah, I'd say average, my average sort of turnaround would be about four weeks. Yeah, it was two to four weeks was the yeah. answer. Yeah. Penultimate question. We were, we've already spoken about about Beck, about Beckham, who's yeah. uh, probably sported the most influential haircuts in the UK, I reckon. Yeah. Um, but when he scored his famous free kick against Greece in 2001, <laughs> what haircut was he sporting? What year? 2001. Uh, I had a mohawk and my... I went to I was at sixth form and I went to school and everyone was like oh wicked mohawk my mum did it for us and she was pissed and um, <laughs> we'd been going on about it for so long she went come on then just have this mohawk um, and uh, my brother had it as well and he was still at school and he got sent home before registration for having a mohawk and then weeks later Beckham had a mohawk and all yeah. the kids turned up at school with mohawks yeah I reckon that was around 2001 <laughs> It was the buzz cut. He was uh, just before them because I think because he scored that free kick in two thousand and one, and then the World Cup two thousand and two, he'd gone the blonde, the tip, yeah. the blonde mohawk, hadn't he? Yeah. And then I think yeah. after that was when he went the full skin with the with the mohawk on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Last question. So according to the Oxford Dictionary, lotium was a word for stale urine used by barbers. What did barbers use lotium for? Uh, that would have been something back in the barber surgeon day, wouldn't it? Um, the guys at the Worshipful Company of Barber Surgeons are going to be really upset if I don't know this. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite disgusting. Like, it's quite... Yeah, it's quite been like, for, like, cleaning wounds or something disgusting like that or sterilising sterilizing something. <laughs> it's shampoo. Imagine oh, that. Oh, lovely. That is... 
I mean, like we said, I mean, I said right at the very top of this, you look back at barbershops and think that was cool. Everyone just stank back in the day, didn't they? Just just pure walk <laughs> around, honk, honk, you know. Yeah, it's, it's been made very, it's, it's been glamorized by Hollywood, doesn't it? And the, yeah. the big screen, the small screen, it looks amazing. <laughs> oh, I'd love to go back to the 1920s. It looks yeah. so lovely. And actually, it was a lot of squalor and stink so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and disease and yeah horrificness uh, but that's that's everything tom thanks so much for, for hey, coming on pleasure. Really, really enjoyed it, it. yeah really thanks enjoyed so much it. it's been good fun well um i'll be in touch with the um when the when it's coming out and i'll even send a copy to you before it goes out so you can whiz back through it mate but um yeah, but yeah no mate. thanks so much for your time mate, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day yeah and you mate have a good week cheers later, tom mate. thanks mate. Bye, mate. Bye.